Good morning and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church on this lovely, hot, summer, sticky day. And uh, we're certainly glad to see you all here. And I might add, and I'm sure we'll have more details later, but I don't want to see any of you here next week. Do you understand? No one's going to come here next week. I don't want to see you. I might even sit in the parking lot. And when I sit out there, I'm going I'm to be laughing because it's like, you didn't listen to me. But as you know, next week we'll be at Nazareth, and I'm sure Bruce will fill you in on that. Um, Nancy's, Nancy Sprankle has a message on our uh, optimist. Would you come up? Good morning. To start the fall program year, the optimists are going to the dogs. Uh, You will find in your bulletin specific information, but we're starting our year off with our friends from Lollipop Farm, some of them two-legged, some of them four-legged. And so please join us for our annual sub-dinner on Friday September 12th, starting at 5.30 in the Fellowship Hall, we have a wonderful sub-dinner with salads and other surprise desserts. So uh, tickets can be purchased in the Fellowship Hall both this week and next week at Nazareth uh, for this special event. So uh, bring your, your stuffed dogs if you don't have a real one, but there is a place at the front of the church for you to leave your animals Thank you, Nancy. And uh, Joyce Drake with some uh, penny pincher updates. I didn't bring any pennies, so I can't do all those little, you know, penny for your thought. But you can still come. Just bring your wallet. (laughs) Getting close to that time. Um, I will be out in the fellowship hall today signing up for workers. They will start to be on September 23rd and 24th, and then our sale will be the 25th and 26th. I will have posters like this out there. If any of you have a business that you could put it in your window, or if you work someplace that maybe you could put out in where you have your lunch, see me. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. And uh, another announcement for this morning here, Ashley and Steve Daniel, uh, some information about some of the fall music programs that are coming to a pew near you by the Daniels. Whoa. Good morning. I'm Steve Daniel. This is my wife, Ashley. And uh, normally we're up there singing in the choir, but uh, this summer we've been sitting down here and uh, we, we were reminiscing this morning that you know, there's some singers down here. You, you can't hide from us. We hear you singing, and uh, we, we enjoy singing with you. And we're actually doing it. We're going to be leading an intergenerational choir this fall uh, that's going to be rehearsing on Monday nights. There's information in your bulletin. Uh, we're going to be in the fellowship hall afterwards if you want to come talk to us. But it's a choir for adults and youth, intergenerational, and it's for really anyone. If you've sung in a choir before and you're looking for a choir to sing with, you're welcome to come. If you've never sung in a choir, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you're looking to learn more about singing, we'd love to have you. Uh, it's just going to be a fun group, and it's going to culminate at the end of October 
singing one anthem uh, with the adult choir in worship. And it's a, just an eight-week program, September and October, and um, very informal, very fun. We'd love to have you. Uh, so again, come talk to us, and uh, thank you very much. And just the final uh, little reminders, of course, you've got your pew pads. Uh, Tim Smith is our Stephen minister for this morning. And if you can take the hot coffee, it's out back, but we'll also have the lemonade, I know, is being made. Um, and that would be our morning sing-along with Bruce and Bruce. So enjoy your day. Thanks, Jim. By the way, just a reminder, uh, what time is worship next Sunday? 10 o'clock. And where's it going to be? <laughs> you guys are with it. This is good. Uh, just to start for me to do something a little different, I'll open up to 384, and then we'll take some of the hymns that you'd like to sing. This is 384. It's a Negro spiritual. And um, we'll sing the first and last stanza. Now, the reason why I've elected to sing the first and last stanza is because if you examine the words, they are the same, Right? So uh, we're going to add the clapping hand motion into the second time we sing. So we'll just sing it through once. Maybe Bruce will play it through once for us to get an idea of the melody. We'll sing the first stanza. And then you can close the hymnal if you want to uh, for the second one. than we're used to. We tend to clap more on all the beats, but not everybody does in this world. Is there something you'd like to sing? Joyce? 118. Yeah. So 118, we're, we're at Christmas. What, 188? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was 118. 188. That's a little further along. 188. Uh, by the way, you don't know this. I heard this request uh, made without number from the front of a church. Yeah. So let's sing uh, both stanzas.
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know as he loved so long ago, taking children on his knee, saying, Let them come to me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Another you'd like to sing? You know that song, yeah. <laughs> okay. What's that? 352. Okay, we'll go to 352. It's always fun to discover what's out there. My Lord, what a morning. That's kind of in the same vein as the other one we just started with. Let's sing, uh, let's sing that. And, and uh, this is easy to sing. We'll just sing the first and the third stanzas from this one. But we, we'll start with the chorus. What a morning, my Lord, what a morning, oh, my Lord, what a morning, when the stars begin to fall, when the stars begin to fall, you will hear the trumpet sound to wake the underground looking to my God's right hand when the stars begin to fall Lord what a morning my Lord what a morning oh my Lord what a morning when the stars begin stars begin to fall. You will hear the Christian shout to wake the nations underground, looking to my God's right hand when the stars begin to Oh, my Lord, 
stars begin to fall. Now you're going to see on the bottom the note that this hymn that we just sang was really um, uh, given to us in 1990 with the music of uh, Melva Costin. She was a moderator of the Presbyterian Church USA. But this hymn goes back much further than that. One of the first places this hymn was ever sung was Pittsburgh, New York. And do you know why? Because the Underground Railroad was here. And if you take a look at the words, to wake the nations underground was a sign that they were going to escape to Lake Ontario and leave here and go to freedom. And there were bounty hunters that marched all over northern New York trying to capture those who were part of the Underground Railroad and then to um, uh, take them back south from whence they had come. But this was one of those spirituals that was sung And usually there was some kind of additional meaning to what was being said. To wake the nations underground meant all of those of you who are underground in the Underground Railroad, it's about time to go. Bruce Frank, we're glad that you're here and help us prepare for worship.
O give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Glory in in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Remember that Moses was drawn by the sight of a burning bush where God said to him, The Lord continued, Moses was afraid and hid his face. I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. Today we stand on holy ground and again by the grace of God can be delivered from our bondage. Let us worship God.
please join me in prayer. Divine One, we worship you. We praise you who hold us and the whole of creation in your heart. Your initiative in calling us to ministry and service with you is amazing and humbling. Although we doubt ourselves, we do not doubt you. And so we dare to listen and watch for the indicators of the vocation that is your will and way for us. As we anticipate your affirmation that we are your called and chosen to bring good news to the world, we pray for courage to make faithful response with our lives. Though feeling soiled and sinful, the Word of God calls us to worthy discipleship and contains a God desire that the humbly repentant are to be recipients of grace, an opportunity for service. Predictable routines have kept us from hearing God's call, and sometimes we've been confused by the value system of our culture. But now, in the quiet of this historic worship space, we offer this prayerful litany of confession. When, O Lord, will we learn to value the life of each of your children? When, O Lord, will we forgive others as you have forgiven us? When, O Lord, will we speak your word with courage, clarity, and humility? When, O Lord, will we actively work for justice as well as ministering with works of charity? When, O Lord, will we turn from self-centered living to your way of compassion? When, O Lord, will we truly see you in the eyes of the homeless, the hungry, the lonely, the ill, and the prisoner? When, O Lord, will we have the courage to say yes to your call to come and follow me? Forgive us for our hesitancy and our fear, not so much for saying no, as for waiting for the assurance that everything will go as we want and not as your will. Forgive us, O Lord, for today we are ready to receive your offer of grace. Yes, Lord, let it be now. Jesus the Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. As we receive the grace of forgiveness and answer the Christ's call into ministry with him, we are freed and fulfilled. This is God's gift to ordinary people, God's gift to us. Thanks be to God. Be seated, friends. We continue through Matthew's gospel and we hear a familiar text of temptation. And how do we overcome it? I invite you to hear God's word to you. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block for me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. 
And Jesus told his disciples, if any of you want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Carrie. I'm going to invite children to join me up here in the chancel. I got two special ones coming up today, too. I've got two granddaughters, Haley and Elena, and they've been with us this week, and we don't get to see them very often. They live in Philadelphia, which is a long way away. So come on up, up here. Um, And they would tell you that I have been in Africa for the last several weeks, and I brought something back here for us to look at from Africa. So come on up to the communion table so we can take a look at this. This is an ark and it's um, made out of a form of wood that is kind of like a mahogany, only it's not the beautiful mahogany that a lot of furniture is made from. It's a different kind of mahogany and you know why they make things out of wood like this? because termites eat a lot of the other kinds of wood. Now inside, if I take the lid off, there are animals. They're kind of African. These are giraffes, right? And there are how many of them? Two. Two. Okay. And there are two of these. And those are the elephants. Yeah, those are the elephants. And then these two. Any idea what these are? Rhinoceroses, right. We've got a pair of rhinoceroses and um, a pair of these. Uh, camels, yeah, we've got a pair of camels. So we'll put them there and put that one over there. And we have, uh, oh yeah, you would expect this. Lions, and which one is the boy lion? Yeah, and the girl lion. Is this one? Yeah. All of these were individually carved so that we had two, one of each, a boy and a girl. And we have two zebras. Yeah, two zebras. And we have, (laughs) yeah, they're really crocodiles, but that's close. Yeah, these are crocodiles. And we have two of them. I I would want to check and see which is the boy crocodile and the girl crocodile with these. Yeah, they, they could be dangerous. And then we have these two. Two people. Joseph and Mary would be a possible answer. Uh, it's a, they're a little early for them to appear in the biblical story. But uh, this is probably Noah and Mrs. Noah, right? Noah and Mrs. Noah. So we have them. And then the other piece is um, the stairs. So, yeah, the door's a little sticky, it's a little humid, but this is for the door, and it goes uh, like that, so the animals can go in the ark. Now, do you suppose these are all the animals that were on board? There might be a few more. A few more? I think squirrels were there? Maybe. What else would have been on there? Bears, maybe? What about dogs? Maybe monkeys. 
monkeys, yeah. Uh, and and I, I probably had termites too, but I don't know that that would have been a good idea to put them on board. I always question whether Noah was really smart about having those. I also wondered about the mosquitoes, except probably they were food for the birds, you know, because we've had a lot of mosquitoes this time of year. But it's a wonderful story of how God wanted to preserve the world, even when it was raining. And then there was a symbol that we got at the end of all the rain and all the animals were safe. The rainbow, that's right. The rainbow was gorgeous. So we can leave these up here and maybe other people will want to come and see them. Um, And I think God made wonderful animals, but God also made you. And that's the best part. Oh yeah, good thing. Hannah, we're going to protect your harp over here. Let's give thanks to God for all of these. Lord God, we give you thanks for the wonder of children and the wonder of your creation and that you would spare it and use it and let us enjoy it. Bless us that we might embrace the world you've created and redeemed. We ask it in the Master's name. Amen. Thanks. And uh, some of you may want to head out and um, I think... Oh, do you have two animals? A panda and a mouse. That's very helpful. They would have been on board. Yeah. Our reading from Paul's epistle to each of us, a great reminder that is often read at weddings but is appropriate to all of us as we seek to grow in our understanding of how to be loving. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, 
If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
It's not hard to imagine why we think angels played harps, is it? Carrie, the passage that you last read was a favorite of mine and of Martha's. The passage you read was really a passage read at our wedding. And I would encourage couples that are thinking for wedding passages to look at that section of the epistle of Romans. Now we turn again to the Old Testament, back in time, Exodus 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burning up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. You who have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, Thus shall you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my title for all generations. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. This next hymn has only one verse printed. Right. Which seems kind of pointless. It would be better if we sing it twice. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So, Bruce, last time I checked, you have two legs. So, when you're standing on holy ground, you're standing on two legs. 
Right. So maybe we should sing one verse for each one. Yeah. And, and did you note in the bulletin, Bruce, that we put an arrow for everybody to be standing on this hymn? Normally we sing about the, this time in the service and we remain seated, but I just thought you can't sing We Are Standing on Holy Ground while we're sitting. You know? It's kind of like you can't sing Standing on the Promises when you're sitting on the premises. You have to stand, stand up. Maybe you know about the woman who went out to Von Mar just to look at the new store and in the process found the most gorgeous dress. The only problem was it was pretty pricey and it consumed uh, several months worth of the family budget for clothing. When her husband came home, she was eager to model it and get his approval and upon his arrival, she slipped into the dress and She asked the question that commonly doesn't ask for honesty, but rather approval. Well, what do you think? How does it look? It's lovely, he said, without additional hesitation, and continued with, and and, uh, how much was it? After she offered the price, he sort of scraped his eyebrows from the ceiling, and then he added, Well, uh, so lovely as it is, and you are in it, you should have just reconsidered the purchase and said, Get behind me, Satan. To which she responded, Well, I did, and Satan said, It looks gorgeous from this side, too. (laughs) Well, in Kenya last week, several of us began to develop a litmus test of sorts with a corollary to the question, And the interrogative, if a man is alone in the woods and no one hears him say anything, is he still wrong? We had learned that. So the corollary now is, if a husband agrees with his wife, is he still wrong? 
Those get-behind-me-Satan words uttered in the direction of Peter by our Lord grab our attention as the words of Scripture just kind of wash over us as they often do on a Sunday morning. You are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. And I think to myself, yes, Lord, I set my mind on human things all the time. I love human beings, and you have placed them in my life, my family, my grandchildren, my friends, people in this church. I enjoy many things that are quite human. Are you suggesting to me that this is all wrong? And then our Lord has moved along to say, if any want to become my followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And his expanded explanation tells us that there is an expectation that the disciples of Jesus are being asked to make some sacrifices. This is where we encounter one of the deterrents to the Christian faith. Following Jesus is an honorable thing to do. But many of us are not really all into the idea that we will then be expected to make our sacrifices of our resources, our convenience, our time, and our freedom. We're asked to become humble and offer ourselves. It's a stumbling misconception of faith if we think that we can become Christians without a cross, even our own, to carry. And when the message of love suddenly becomes intertwined with the concept that salvation without sacrifice may not be an option, we feel empty that a pathetically pallid, self-congratulating pride is not sufficient. Maybe you clipped out the same account of, by Lieutenant Commander J.P. Wilkins of his life as an aviator that I did. Pilot Wilkins watched as his maintenance crew worked feverishly to repair his plane for a very important mission. They declared the plane ready to fly, but on a pre-flight inspection, Commander Wilkins reached behind an equipment box and kind of skewered his finger a bit on a piece of wire. This cut just kind of bled. Sticking his head out of the plane to ask for a first aid kit, he noticed two crew members studying a small red pool beneath the aircraft. And he called out to them. He said, that's my blood. And their faces brightened. Well, what a relief, they said. We thought it was hydraulic fluid. I mean, far be it from them to worry that he was bleeding a bit, you know? This week, I kind of read through God's word, focusing more really on the Old Testament text than on this gospel passage. And uh, in some ways, we have this urgent nudging of Jesus to discipleship, a call to follow him to Jerusalem. And the Old Testament passage, we have this mysterious burning bush call of God to Moses to follow him back into Egypt, to lead the people out. 
I mean, there he was wanted for murder. In the contrast of these two, for some reason, a reason I can't explain, have been the haunting lyrics sung by Tebia and his wife Golda. The only thing I can think of is that while on the plane back from Africa, we could choose to listen to music, and I tried to sleep, and I put on headphones, and don't you know that I listened mostly to the musical Fiddler on the Roof? Maybe that's why. But in the musical, Tevia and Golda are a deeply devout, middle-aged Jewish couple. They live in Russia at the beginning of the 20th century. Their lives are hard, but filled with devotion. A complicating factor in their lives is that they have daughters for which they should be finding proper matches, which is a major theme in the musical. The setting is within the community in which marriages are arranged by the parents. This is complicated by the emerging desire of their daughters to follow their hearts and not the wishes of mom and dad. In other words, the daughters fall in love with young men who are not suitable in Tevia and Golda's mind. Tevia and Golda are themselves in an arranged marriage. Romantic love was not a factor in their union, but the experience of his daughters has Tevia wondering. And so he asks Golda this provocative basic question, almost as bad as asking, well, what do you think? You like the dress? Golda, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Golda suggests that perhaps stress is getting to Tevia that he ought to go inside and lie down. Maybe it's indigestion, she says. Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? And Golda says, you're a fool. Tevye says, I know, but do you love me? Golda answers this way. Do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Tevye will not let the matter drop. He reminds her that the day they met was their wedding day, and he was scared, but that his father and mother said that they would learn to love each other, and now he is asking, Golda, do you love me? And Golda says, I'm your wife. I know, but do you love me? It's a touching scene. Those of you who have been married a long time can relate. It's a question that hits at the heart of Christian discipleship. There beside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times, he asked. I mean, when it comes down to it, this is the most critical question anyone can answer about Jesus, right? Do you love him? 
And when Christ talks about taking up a cross daily and following him, he is not establishing a requirement for entrance to heaven. Heaven is given for those who believe in him, but there is a difference between believing in Jesus and loving him. He is saying this is how people will live who truly love him. They walk as he walked. They talk as he talked. They are his presence in the world. And so I ask this day, do you love him? I mean, I suppose if we love Jesus, we would have his heart and his courage and his faith. If you are like me, then you have days when you are pleased that Jesus died on the cross in your behalf. But then some of us studiously avoid taking up the crosses of our own. Crosses are painful, dirty things. They clash with the image of what we're trying to develop among our peers. Those who simply believe Jesus existed want to stay as far away as possible from taking up any crosses. But those who love him? Different matter altogether. For the cross is a necessary part of following him. Do you have his heart, his courage, his love? I mean, how will we know that God has called us to be followers and live out this sacrificial approach to human life? Surely it would be a lot plainer if there was some sort of burning bush experience. Maybe if you and I had an encounter like Moses, it would all fall into place a lot neater. As we read the account, Moses was on that mountain tending his father-in-law's flock when he saw the bush blazing but not burning. He moved toward it, and God spoke to him out of the bush, saying, Come now no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now this is a point at which this story makes me queasy. For if I had been in Moses' sandals... I'm not so sure I would have been convinced to obey. Yeah, right. This is holy ground. Who's kidding whom here? This is just the surface of Mount Horeb, and whatever's going on with the bush is liable to start throwing off a few burning embers at any moment, so I'm not taking off my sandals and having my feet hit those. And if I had responded like that, there's a good chance I would have missed an encounter with God. Where is holy ground? For some, it's right here. I mean, a lot of things have taken place in this room. This week, a couple came to the church office door. They were from Ramsey, New Jersey, and were members here of First Presbyterian Church over 20 years ago. She had worked in the Christian education department. They were eager to see how things looked. We talked until we got to this room in which we worship. And when they came inside here, conversation ended. They were silent. It was as if the two of them had entered holy ground where children had been baptized, 
communion had been received, commitments made, hymns sung, prayers offered. You could see that in them this was holy ground. I mean, people have been here, pledged themselves to do ministry and mission to other parts of the world from here. Others have knelt here and received affirming prayers of confirmation, ordination. We have invited people to come to these steps and to kneel and place anointing oil on their heads and prayed for their healing here. But this is not the only holy ground. There you are taking a walk when an idea occurs to you about some change you need to make in your life, and wherever that occurs, that ground will be holy. You're reading a book when something you read suddenly comes alive for you, and that space is holy ground. You are in the midst of an argument with a family member, and you're angry, and something just clicks inside your head, and you remember that you love this person with whom you are being so angry, and that realization can cause the ground to shift under you, And your relationship changes, and the ground becomes holy. I mean, you're snowed in, unable to go to work. You are frustrated because you've got so much you need to accomplish, and then suddenly it dawns on you that you've been given a day, a day to yourself, and it is holy. You are busy with the responsibilities of the day, and a child asks you to read her a story. And the bedroom becomes holy ground. I mean, you are in the midst of trouble. You're depressed over the course of your life. And receiving one of those, I was just thinking of you cards. And it's a very holy piece of paper. You're off to college, but you're not self-supporting. You may call that opportunity, but then it comes to you that your presence on campus is only possible because of the financial sacrifices made by your parents and those who set up some scholarship funds a long time ago, and all of a sudden your dorm room is holy ground. I mean, these may not even seem religious, let alone Christian. But most of you have had an encounter with everyday holiness that goes beyond the ordinary and the routine and the mundane. There is something about these experiences that, if we're alert, tells us not to let the moment slip by without giving thanks or apologizing or saying I love you to someone or changing our attitude or taking an exploratory, just a new step in a direction we think God might push us. Our world is seemingly filled with strange but normally unessential facts. They're quirky, unusual. For example, uh, we're not sure when the data came from, but I learned that coconuts kill more people every year than sharks do, and that might come in handy sometime. I mean, it's just good to know. I mean, we take inane truths and store them away, digging them out of the recesses of our cerebral cortex to rescue a struggling conversation and at a dinner party uh, for that moment when we happen to be a contestant on Jeopardy. 
19th century medicines now used as condiments. That's the category. Oh, we know that one. Good to know. Scripture as well is full of good to know truths, insights that are applicable, even if we can't immediately find an application for us. Take the book of Proverbs, for example. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising in the morning will be counted as cursing. Proverbs 27, 14. You know what that means, right? In other words, wait until your neighbor has showered and eaten a bagel and had a cup of coffee before you shout blessings their way over the fence. Very good to know. Jesus has lots of good-to-know insights. When we read the gospel lesson today, we learned that Jesus doesn't need us to protect him or defend him, but to follow him. That's good to know. He tells us that to find ourselves, we must be willing to lose ourselves. Very good to know. There will be a reward in the end, even when Christ returns. Very good to know. I don't know why we have all of the extraneous information we have to deal with. Did you know that a regulation golf ball has 336 dimples? John Lennon's first girlfriend was named Thelma Pickles. I bet you didn't know that. The plastic bag in which you brought home your groceries is not normally a toy. It says so on the bottom of some bags. This is information that might be helpful when the dinner conversation drags. You could blurt out some tidbit of trivia. Like, uh, did you know that Jimmy Carter was the first U.S. president to be born in a hospital? Good to know. Do you love me? Tevye, a good-hearted Jewish man that he is, asked it of Golda. Then as the scene fades, she says that she does. And together they sing, it may not change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's good to know. It is the question. It's the question that comes to us from Almighty God through the lips of Jesus. Do you love me? For it leads to will for us and decision. Will you carry my message? Will you be my disciple? Will you show my compassion? Will you go to Kenya if I ask you to go there? Will you go to downtown Rochester if I ask you to go there? Will you go to the Pittsburgh food cupboard if I ask you to go there? Will you help a homeless family if I ask you to go there? As we embrace the master's heart, his courage, and his confidence, even so, after a single day, it's nice to show, for it's nice to know that God loves.
God loves all kinds of holy ground. He loves the red clay in western Kenya. God loves the turf at Oak Hill's 18th Green. He likes the sand on the shore in Irondequoit. It's all holy ground and made especially so when we have experienced God's call to be his agents of change and love on it. It's good to know. And if you think so too, there's a prayer we can use in today's bulletin. It's short. Caring God, it is by enlisting people like us for compassionate work in the world that those who hunger are fed, the homeless are housed, the naked clothed, the lonely visited, and the sick attended. You have marked us for such ministry. Bless these gifts as we, the givers, who respond to your initiative. For Christ's sake, amen. Please be seated, friends. Jim, who's in the back of the sanctuary, Jim Wick, we thank you for the beautiful flowers, and we do remember those in in whose honor you are placing them. We also give thanks and praise for the return, safe return of Team 3. Wonderful to see you all back. What a great celebration you've had and great stories and wonderful blog entries. And Ron, thanks for the dress from another trip a while ago. Much appreciated. We give thanks and praise also. You know that we had been praying for Dick and Norma Ryther's daughter, Allison, who was expecting twins. Well, they were born, but here's the fun twist. One was born Tuesday night, 
just before midnight. The other was born Wednesday morning, just after midnight. The girls are happy and healthy. Mom and dad are delighted, and the writhers are thrilled as well. We also give thanks and praise for the healing that is coming through all of our prayers for many people. This weekend, Lee Roblin walked his stepdaughter down the aisle in a lovely wedding. We give thanks and praise. And we are in prayer with uh, David and Lori Hill, for Lori will have surgery next week. We hope that it goes smoothly and without any complications. We also give thanks and praise for visitors from near and far. Please join me in prayer, friends. God of grace, we thank you for inviting us to intimately and intentionally serve you with integrity. No matter where we are, we are standing on holy ground. We give you thanks for Jesus, who taught his followers the full meaning of your wisdom. Help us to be bold in following his example of integrity. May we hear in your invitation our charge to become disciples and to share your good news. We give thanks for the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. And we give thanks for that Holy Spirit prompting us through prayer cards and news of the day to pray for our leaders around the world, to give them a heart that leans towards you. It's good to know. We're bold to pray for the common good. We pray for our world. We pray for our nation. We pray for our communities. We pray for our church. And as we have brought our cares to you in our prayers, let us bring our lives to your healing mercies, Lord God. Strengthen us, heal us, and enable us to answer your call. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, without hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
I always thought that the most holy place was probably here in this sanctuary, but I have learned that at this congregation's bidding, that some of the most holy conversation actually takes place around coffee and donuts in the Fellowship Hall. Because Fellowship Hall is really holy ground. And so is the kitchen. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.